0: Volume three, chapter six of Diana Tempest by Mary Chumley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Volume three, chapter six. What name doth joy most borrow when life is fair Tomorrow. George Eliot. On her hurried return to London the morning after the ice carnival, Di found mrs Courtney in that condition of illness not necessarily dangerous in which the linseed poultice and the steam-kettle and the complexion of the beef-tea are the objects of an all-absorbing interest to the exclusion of every other subject. Di was glad not to be questioned upon the one subject that was never absent from her thoughts. As Mrs. Courtney became convalescent, she was able to leave her for an hour or two, and pace in the quieter parts of Kensington Gardens. Happiness, like sorrow, is easier to bear out of doors, and I had a lurking feeling that would hardly bear being put into words, but was none the worse company for that, that the crocuses, and the first bird-note in the trees, and the pale sky, knew her secret, and rejoiced with her. John would come to her. He was getting well, and the first day he could he would come to her, and tell her once more that he loved her. And she? Impossible! Incredible as it seemed, She should tell him that she loved him too." Imagination stopped short there. Everything after that was a complete blank. They would be engaged. They would be married. Other people who loved did so. Words, mere words, applicable to other people, but not to her and John. Could such impossible happiness ever come about? Never, never! She must be mad to think of such a thing. It could not be. Yet it was so. It was coming, it was sure, this new, incomprehensible, dreaded happiness, of which, now that it was almost within her trembling hand, she hardly dared to think. "'Die,' said Mrs. Courtney one afternoon, as she came in from her walk. "'There is a paragraph in the paper about John. He going to contest that seat at the general election in opposition to the present radical member. Did he say anything about it while you were at Overley? It must have been arranged some time ago.' No, Granny, he did not mention it. I'm glad he's taking part in politics at last. It is time. I may not live to see it, but he will make his mark. I'm sure he will, said Di. Mrs. Courtney looked in some perplexity at her granddaughter. It seemed to her from Di's account that she had taken John's accident very placidly. She had not forgotten the girl's apparent callousness when his life had been endangered in the mine. It was very provoking to Mrs. Courtney, that this beautiful creature, whom she had taken out for nearly four years, seemed to have too much heart to be willing to marry without love, and too little to fall genuinely in love. Mrs. Courtney had gone to considerable expense in providing her with a new and becoming morning gown for that visit, and Di had managed to lose one of the lace handkerchiefs she had lent her, and had come back unengaged after all. Mrs. Courtney, who had taken care to accept the invitation for her without consulting her, and had ordered the gown, in spite of Di's remonstrances, felt keenly that if Di had refused John she had gone to that social gathering under false pretenses. "'Di,' she said, "'I seldom ask questions, but I have been wondering during the last few days whether you have anything to tell me or not.' Considering that this was not a question, it was certainly couched in a form conducive to eliciting information. "'I have, and I have not,' said Di. "'Of course I know what you expected, but it did not happen.' "'You mean John did not propose to you?' "'No, Granny.' Mrs. Courtney was silent. She was prepared to be seriously annoyed with Di, and it seemed John was in fault after all. There is no relaxation for a natural irritability in being angry with a person a hundred miles off. "'I think he meant to,' said Di, turning pink. Mrs. Courtney saw the change of colour with surprise. "'My dear,' she said, "'do you care for him?' "'Yes,' said Di, looking straight at her grandmother. "'I'm very thankful,' said Mrs. Courtney. "'I have nothing left to wish for.' "'I believe I have sometimes done you an injustice,' she said tremulously, after wiping her spectacles. "'I thought you valued your own freedom and independence too much to marry.' It is difficult to to advise the young to give their love if they don't want to. Yet as one grows old, one sees that the very best things we women have lose all their virtue if we keep them to ourselves. Our love if we withhold it, our freedom if we retain it. What are they later on in life but dead seed in our hands? Our best is ours only to give. Our part is to give it to, to someone who is worthy of it. I think John is worthy. I wish he had managed to speak, and that it were all settled." It is really settled," said Di. Now and then I feel frightened, and think I may have made a mistake, but I know all the time that is foolish. I am certain he cares for me, and I am quite sure he knows I care for him. Granny," blushing furiously, I often wish now that I had not said quite so many idiotic things about love and marriage before I knew anything about them. Do you remember how I used to, to favour you with my views about them?" I don't think they were exactly idiotic. Only the elect hesitate to pronounce opinions on subjects of which they are ignorant. I have heard extremely intelligent men say things quite as silly about housekeeping and the rearing of infants. You like them spoke according to your lights, which were small. I don't know about charming men, though not any nowadays, but it is always a pity when charming women talk of things that they don't understand. We should not have many subjects of conversation if we did not, said Di. And the old woman and the young one embraced each other with tears in their eyes. End of Volume 3 Chapter 6